Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the Word. When I was teaching recently on uh, the vision of God, the voices of God, and I was emphasizing how God speaks to us, I committed to give a sermon on going deep into understanding how God speaks to us. Because maybe, or just maybe, the reason why we are not hearing the voice as we have to, or we're supposed to, is not that God is not speaking. The Bible says, God spoke once and twice have I heard. You see, it means that some people hear once instead of hearing twice. There's a duality in receiving the voice of God. It's not one file of speech. There's a duality in hearing the voice of God. God had spoken once and twice by heart. And so some people do not carry the affirmations or the things in which they are instructing. The Bible says that they desire to be teachers of the law, not knowing from whence they affirm these things. They don't have an understanding of foundation when they are receiving the message. And so God speaks to us. And sometimes, even though we are taught, we even teach as well. We are in a courting circumstances or situations where we sometimes do not receive the voice of God clearly because we do not know how God speaks. The voice of God is always available. God is speaking to us night and day. He's repeating himself seven, four, five times. But the reason why we are not responding when some of us are not having our best in life is because we cannot hear God. And because we cannot hear God, instead of teaching ourselves or allowing to be taught on how to hear God, we disconnect ourselves from that responsibility and start looking for people who will speak to us about the God who is supposed to be personal. So I'm not saying that the prophetic does not have its place, but the prophetic in the New Testament is secondary. It's not primary. It is not the leader of the New Testament church. The leader of the New Testament church is the person of the Holy Spirit. He says, for as many as are led by the Holy Spirit, they are the children of God, not by the prophets, not by the apostles, not by the pastors, or whatever form there is. The person of the Holy Spirit is the primary leader of the New Testament church. And so, how will we hear and understand the voice of God when we do not know how he speaks? And so today I came to help you understand how he speaks. Because when you know how he speaks, if you hear the voice of God, the Bible says you live. The Bible says if we hear the voice of God, we will live. What's the meaning of that? And other people living? Uh-uh. He's saying that if you hear the voice of God, the life of God will be evident in this plan manifestation in your life. Somebody shout hallelujah. The Bible says they shall hear the voice of the Son of God and they shall live. The life of God, the zoe of God will be evident in manifestation on your life. Somebody shout hallelujah. Mark chapter 4, 33rd verse. The Bible says, And with many such parables spake he the word unto them as they were able to hear it. But without a parable, spake he not unto them. And when they were alone, he expounded all the things to his disciples. If you will read that in the message version, the Bible says with many stories like these, he presented his message to them. Fitting the stories to their experience and maturity 
Remember how I mentioned that I'm going to teach you how to hear God and to grow in the maturity of the Spirit? Because the more you mature, you know, the more you get understanding is the clearer and more plain God speaks to you. Somebody shout hallelujah. He says, with many stories like these, he presented his message to them, fitting the stories to their experience and maturity. And the next line says, and he never without a story spoke. When he was alone with his disciples, he went over everything, sorting out the tangles and tying the knots. God does not speak to you beyond your level to understand. God does not speak to us above what we are able to conceive and interpret. So when the psalmist says that I don't exercise myself in matters higher than I, it means that I don't assume to carry revelation and opinion in things that I have no understanding into. Even when the oracles are sent, at least I have enough judgment to know whether that is for my understanding to exercise myself therein with its responsibility or to let it fly to the man to whom it belongs. In part of the responsibilities of the Christian faith as we mature, you learn to respect the word of God and how it is sent and to whom it is sent. Somebody shout amen. amen. God, I repeat, speaks to all of us according to where we are able to understand him. Very, very deep truth. Why? Because you see, we can receive two different instructions about the same thing. And why they're different instructions is because you are somewhere and the other brother or sister is in another place. And so God can and will send a message to you and he might send these messages differently. But he's trying to take all of you or both of you to the same place of landing. And sometimes there are quotations. That's a false teacher. This is a cult. They're teaching this way. They're teaching that way. And some of them are not really cults or false teachers. Some of them are victims of people who think that God speaks only the way they hear him. And so if he speaks differently from that individual, that other person, that person must be wrong. So the disciples of Jesus have a problem. We found a man casting out devils in your name and we forbade him because he followeth not with us. This is a problem. He's doing what we were instructed to do, but we don't remember him receiving the instruction we received. And so he must be wrong because he does not follow with us. So he wasn't in the sitting when you taught us how to cast out devils. He should be wrong. Uh -uh. Again, I've said there are many facets of how God speaks to us. Maybe he is the kind that did not need to sit in an open teaching to receive that instruction. He received it some other way. Of these things, Paul says, I have in a figure transferred to Apollos. God speaks to us according to our level of understanding. The Bible says he gave them stories according to their experiences, reconciling their stories to their experiences and maturity and maturity is he mature to receive this he's not but i want to give him something so let me speak to him from here and this is the challenge of being immature yet you hear god because now we're past you know the person saying oh me i don't even know how to hear the voice of god now i'm not talking about those ones uh-uh I'm talking about people who have learned, they have a basic understanding of hearing the voice of God. See? And the challenge of hearing the voice of God, yet still inexperienced and skilled and immature, it only means that either God will have to go over and over the same issue, which means that he'll find himself repeating many things to you, thus you wasting a lot of time in the place where you're supposed to redeem time, or there are things that he will not be able to minister to you because you are hardened in the heart to conceive or understand these things. So some things might not come to you or you might be delayed in life. And the reason why you're delayed in life is like when we went to school. You sit in a class, the teachers are teaching, but every child is understanding from wherever they're understanding. And one becomes first and then one becomes last. And the teachers recommend to your parents, you know, we think that it's expedient for your child to repeat this class. They repeat two, three, four, five classes, and then your peers go ahead of you, and that is a result later 
that clearly shows that you are behind schedule in many things. You're behind schedule in your career. You're behind schedule in your ministry. You're behind schedule in your dreams and aspirations. Why are you behind? Perhaps there are certain things God is taking you over and over to repeat because you have failed to understand him. So the instruction to understand is different from the instruction in the understanding. Did you get it? When God is speaking to a man to understand something, it is different from when God is speaking to a man who has understood something. The instructions for understanding are different from the instruction in the understanding. You see? That's the difference between speaking to a man which is learned and the man which is not learned or is in the presence of learning. The Bible says, he openeth my ear and speaketh to me as one which is learned. Somebody shout hallelujah. When he opens the ear of this individual, when he opens the tongue of this individual, Isaiah 50 verses 4, the Bible says, the Lord has given me the tongue of the learned. There are tongues of learning men and there are tongues of learned men. And the Bible says that I should know how, you see, not what. When a man is learned, he's not in the realm of what to speak. I don't know what to preach this Sunday. I don't know what to preach that Thursday. We're beyond that. Some of us are beyond that. I will never be in a place where I don't have what to teach. On the contrary, I have so much that I don't have the time to teach it. So the learned spirit learns how, not what, how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. And the Bible says, and he wakeneth morning by morning, he wakeneth mine ear to hear as the land. He doesn't waken up the ear to hear as a learning man. So there are people who are in the realm of learning. They're in the presence of learning. And so when God is speaking to them, he's speaking to them as men which are learning. They're without understanding, but yet it's expedient for God to assign certain responsibilities in that season. And there are people which are learned. And so when he's speaking to learned men, it's different. Okay? We learned, they unlearned, the voice comes differently. The instruction comes differently. Hallelujah. And some of you in this someone are going to understand what it means to be learned as you're hearing me. And so we see Jesus is dealing with men which are not learned in the things of God. And so he says, how do I speak to them? By wisdom. We see various analogies in scripture. And all of these analogies are used deliberately because God wants to give understanding to them which are learning. He wants to help them come to the place where they will receive. He is fitting their stories to their experiences and their level of maturity. He doesn't want to lose anybody. But what if they're slow? Somebody shout hallelujah. What if they are slow? You see? Now, because of these analogies, we see that even for the teacher, you and I, for those of you who are pastors or ministers of the gospel, we find that we are supposed to have these analogies as teaching tools because God used the same tools. I'll give you a few examples. In the Bible, there are metaphors. The Lord is my shepherd. That's a metaphor. So there are going to be experiences where you will use as a teacher certain metaphors because if certain people don't get them, they will not understand. It takes love to teach in that simplicity. The Bible says that knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. In the love of God and the seeking to edify these people, we find that we will use metaphors. We've seen the Bible using allegories, Galatians, 424 and these things are an allegory somebody shout hallelujah they are an allegory he's used allegories we've seen god using symbols in scripture judges chapter 8 verses 26 and the weight of the golden earrings that he requested was a thousand and seven hundred shekels of gold besides ornaments and collars and purple raiment underline that that was on the kings of midian and besides the chains that were about their camels necks you see, the kings of Midian used to put on purple as a symbol 
or a sign of something. In Mark chapter 15, verse 17, when they're talking about Jesus in the time when they have apprehended him, the Bible says they clothed him with purple and plated a crown of thorns and put it above his head. And they say, Hail, King of the Jews. Why purple on the kingly? Because the purple color is associated with royalty, with richness and authority. You see, that's a symbol. So God will use allegory. He will use metaphors. He will use similes. He will use imagery. He will use all of these things, whichever figure of speech is necessary to get to the man and help them have understanding. So when God gets to Moses in the book of Numbers and Aaron and Miriam have judged him for marrying a Cushite wife, it is contrary to the culture. He has spoken. It is already clear in Leviticus that you shall not mix your seed with another tribe. You're supposed to marry within your own people. God has spoken. It's a very clear instruction. So Aaron and Miriam, based on that instruction, from the level where they're able to understand that they feel that they are in position to judge Moses, you see that? For marrying an Ethiopian woman, according to what God had spoken earlier, they were not wrong. God had refused the Israelites to mix their blood with other nations. Even when you see later the patriarchs as they are looking for wives for their own sons, when Abraham is telling the servant, he tells him, go thee among my people and get Isaac a wife. You see, they never used to want to marry outside their own because it was an instruction from God. So Aaron and Miriam, by that instruction, by the level of their understanding, they know that Moses is not supposed to marry a crusade woman. They say, doesn't God speak to us too? His oracles are clear. And so when God gets into the sixth verse amplified and he said to them, hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I the Lord make myself known to him in a vision and speak to him in a dream, but not so with my servant Moses. Not so with my servant Moses. For the Bible says, that he is entrusted and faithful in all my house. Now underline that, entrusted and faithful in all my house. And because Moses is entrusted and faithful, he's a worthy steward. He is faithful with whatever God gives him. We see him maturing in a place where God speaks to him differently from the place where Aaron and Miriam are receiving. And the Bible says, and with him I speak mouth to mouth directly, clearly and not in dark speeches. What are dark speeches? Analogies. What are dark speeches? Allegories. What are dark speeches? Parables. What are dark speeches? You know, stories. What are dark speeches? Fables. What are dark speeches? Metaphors. He says, I don't speak to him in dark speeches. And he beholds the form of the law and tells him, why are you not afraid to speak about that man? He is in another place of hearing. So even when Moses receives the same instruction in the hearing of Miriam, in the hearing of Aaron, God has said to us, but Moses is able to hear what Aaron and Miriam are not able to hear. So they are judging him from a place where they see and understand the teachings of God, but not from where God really is. That's so deep. Some of you, the reason why you judge men of God and people is because it's where you understand from. It's not necessarily from where God is. The Bible speaks of David. One time he was hungry. And then he enters the temple. And then he goes with his men and they eat the bread within the temple, which was an abomination. It was wrong to do. And then Jesus comes back in the New Testament and gives that same reference to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. That you remember when David went into the temple and his men were hungry. There was a rule that they were not supposed to be eating that bread. That was sacred bread. Not any common man was supposed to enter the temple and eat that bread. Yeah, it's true. God has refused it. But there's a place where David is instructed. He enters the same temple where God has refused. <laughs> and when they're hungered, they eat of that bread. Asks them, have you not read how he went into the house of God and ate the showbread and gave to all them that were with him, which is not lawful to eat, but for the priests alone. So how come God did not judge David and his men for breaking the law? They have a problem with him healing on the Sabbath. They are instructed differently. So he tells them the son of God is the Lord of the Sabbath. So if you have a problem with me healing on the Sabbath because God told us to do nothing on the Sabbath, I'm not receiving instruction from where you are. Be very slow to judge people who hear God.
That's what I'm trying to say. Because you don't know from where they hear God from. Hallelujah. Is somebody understanding this? So, we see that place of hearing. That he says, he does not speak to Moses in dark speeches. I don't need to use allegory with him. I don't need to use a metaphor with him. I don't need to use a parable with Moses. I don't need to use him. Why? Because he's established. He is built a certain way. Remember in scripture, when the Bible says, when Paul is praying for the church, that they might have wisdom and understanding in the knowledge of Christ. Why wisdom comes first, understanding secondary, and knowledge third. Proverbs 24, verses 3. Through wisdom, the Bible says, a house is builded, and by understanding, that house is established, and by knowledge shall the chambers be filled with all the precious and pleasant riches. Which comes first? Wisdom. Wisdom, a house is builded, Understanding a house is established and by knowledge shall all the chambers be filled with all precious and pleasant riches. So knowledge is that realm. Wisdom and understanding precede it and they are greater than knowledge. So some are celebrating in the place of progressive knowledge, gnosko, what they have read in a book to share on a Sunday or a Tuesday, what they were praying and in their meditation it came to their spirit and then they get excited. The Bible says, I rejoiced over your word as one which has found spoil. That is not the place that establishes us in ministry. And you can live a life where revelation comes over constantly and you think that that's your dwelling place and the place from where you command authority. That's not the place from where you command authority. The authority of the spirit is commanded in the realm of wisdom and understanding. Those two precede. The Bible says in Proverbs 4, 7, wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, he says, get wisdom and with all thy getting, get understanding. One comes before the other. Proverbs 16, 16, he says, how much better is it to get wisdom than gold and to get understanding rather to be chosen than silver? See, he has likened wisdom to gold. That's a symbol as well. He has likened understanding to silver. If you read scripture, you will see that when you're talking about the preciousness of metals in their order, the first is gold, the second is silver, and in scripture, the third is usually brass. So knowledge is in the realm of brass. So later when he speaks of the fining pot is for silver and the furnace is for gold, he's not just talking about silver and gold, he's talking about that comparison between wisdom and understanding. The refinings of silver and the furnaces of gold. The places of our consecration and refinery. What it means to be consecrated by God. What it means to be refined by God. So when we get to knowledge, knowledge is brass. So when we see the prophet dreaming of this whole image and the feet were of brass, there's something so deep there. Because again, we know that the feet are showed for the preaching of the gospel. Somebody shout hallelujah. Our justification is not in the places of knowledge. Our justification is deeper in the places of wisdom and understanding. So when the knowledge comes and we speak of justification, it is because before that knowledge was the understanding and before that understanding was the wisdom of it. If you have no wisdom of a thing, you cannot understand. And if you have no understanding of the thing, it doesn't matter how much knowledge you have, it is not beneficial to you. I'm talking about how God speaks, because if you don't understand this, you will not hear him or you'll not hear him well. Or when the instructions come, they will not be clear to you enough to execute what God wants you to execute. Somebody shout hallelujah. Now back to this. Where we began from in Mark. So we see Jesus speaking to his disciples and the people that were around him. But you see, I realized through scripture, and I'm going to show it to you, that when he was with the multitudes, there are certain parables that he spoke. And when he was with his disciples, there were also certain parables that he spoke. Jesus separated the parables he speaks there were parables that were both for his 12 the 12 disciples and all of them that were following there were instructions that were in parable as well but only to the people that followed without the disciples and there were instructions that were parables only to the disciples without the congregation 
She never forget that. Can I say that again? There were instructions, listen, that were given to the disciples alone through parable. There were instructions that were given to the people that followed Jesus without the disciples. So that mean the disciples are not there, but sometimes you would tell them that this one, even though you're with me, this particular parable is for them, it's not for you. And then there were instructions that connected both the 12 disciples and everyone that was with him. Why? Because again, he speaks to us differently from wherever we are able to understand him. Let me give you a very clear example in Matthew, the 13th chapter, 10th verse. One of those times Jesus is speaking to the congregation. He's giving them certain parables. But we can see by that text that he had already told the disciples that now these ones are not for you. These parables are for them. You have your own too, but these are for them. And so when he's speaking to them in parables, the Bible says the disciples came and said unto him, Matthew 13 verses 10, the disciples came and said unto him, why speakest thou unto them in parables? Why are you speaking to them? In parables, as though he never used to speak to the disciples in parables. Uh -uh. He used to speak to the disciples in parables also. But here is the difference. That when he went to the congregations, he used to speak in parables. But also, when he was speaking to the disciples, the twelve, in parables, the difference is here that when he was alone with them, he expounded these parables. He explained what their meaning was. That is why if you go back to Mark, the fourth chapter where we first read in the 34th verse, the Amplified, it says he did not tell them anything without a parable, but privately to his disciples, those that were peculiarly his own, he explained everything fully. That is, as of either he's speaking to the congregation and the disciples receiving that message, or even when he's speaking only to the twelve, we see that when they're with him, whether he's speaking to all of them with the mass that follows, or he's speaking individually with them in a parable, we see that in both ends he had time to expound and explain everything fully to him because it was important to him that if I hit a parable one or two, three times, or in different places, or different parables are given to congregations, I might not worry so much if they don't receive it, but it's very important to me that you, the 12, understand everything that I am teaching. It's important that you understand everything that I'm teaching. It's very important. So he says, you look, since these are the 12, these are the pillars that I'm going to leave behind when I'm gone. I might understand if the others don't understand, but it's expedient. It's very important. It's imperative that these 12 understand everything that I'm teaching. And then he continues to tell them, let's go back now to Matthew. Uh, on that background, I think you understand now where I'm going. And the Bible says, and he answered unto them, because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not. What a contradiction. It looks contradictory in language. But here is the right rendering. If you study the original text, I have studied it, he means to say, what business is that to you? For me, most importantly, when I'm with you, I explain. That's what it means. It is given to you. I explain to you. So it is given to them does not mean that they have the innate ability to interpret what Jesus is saying. It only means I always have time to explain it to you. So he's telling them that should not bother you. For you, you understand. So in the cases where they will not understand, one day I will be gone, you'll be available to make them understand. For me, it's important that the 12 of you understand. For you, it is given. So when we're talking about it is given, he's not saying that they have that ability, that there's this anointing in them that can interpret everything he's saying. No, he's only saying that at least if they have not understood the parables that I give for you, I separate you independently and I explain and break these things for you. So I expect that in the places where they will not understand, you shall be available. They don't yet know when he is going and how he will go, or that one day he will be gone. But I see that they interpret this later. And he says, verses 12, For whosoever hath, to him shall be given. Who? Has understanding. One who has understanding. That if you can get to a place and understand what I'm saying, he says, more shall be given and he shall have more abundance but whosoever hath not what 
understanding or revelation of what I'm saying. From him shall be taken away even that which he has. Therefore, he says, speak I to them in parables. And this is why I speak to them in parables. He says, because they seeing see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they what? Understand. And he continues to say, and in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, by hearing you shall hear and not understand, and seeing you shall see and shall not perceive, for this people's heart is waxed. Why is he speaking in parables? It's the state of their heart. It's not what he wants to give them, but it's from where they are able to understand. So he's not speaking in parables because he loves speaking in parables, it's just his way of analogy and speech. No, he's speaking in parables because he's speaking to hardened hearts. So he needs to speak in the deepest simplicity. And if they don't understand this simplicity, at least he explains deeper to the disciples to understand because to God it's important that it's understood. You see? You see where we're going? So he continues to say, for these people's heart is wax gross and their ears are dull of hearing and their eyes they have closed. You see, all of this is their responsibility. Their heart is hardened. Who hardens the heart? The man. And their ears are dull of hearing. Who dulls their hearing? Themselves. And their eyes they have closed. He did not say their eyes are closed. He says their eyes they have closed. You see? And at least at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and should understand again with their heart and should be converted and I should heal them. But he tells them, but blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. He's telling the disciples again. So from where do they see and from where do they hear? He has time to expound to them what he means. Now, let us go slowly here. If he's still at the place where they have not understood even the parable, that is supposed to be understood because by the time Jesus gives a story to teach a moral or spiritual lesson, he knows that if he gives you an oracle directly without interpreting it and explaining to it, you will not understand. So he gets to your level. There was a man one day who was bitten by the thieves on the road. And then one man came and bypassed him. He was late for lunch hour. And another one came and bypassed him because he felt it was... And then there was another one who came and handled him. Uh, he was a good Samaritan. And then took him in and told him, look after this man and I will pay of everything you've spent on him. Who of them was a good neighbor? You see, the point is, it was the one who went and got this man off the road and put him in the inn for treatment. But the point is, he's trying to tell him or them that are hearing this story that I'm trying to put a certain seed in you and the seed is that to me you are more defined as a man or minister of God when you can find a man by roadside broken or fallen and then you pick them up and take them to hospital than a person who bypasses them because he's late for lunch hour or the prophet who separates himself from those people because he's seeking God every day. But it is hard for this man to understand it, so he will use a parable. Because he knows if I say it this way, they might even get offended. Their heart is hardened. Their ears are dull. Their eyes are closed. They don't understand what I'm saying. So let me get to the story and give them a story, a parable, so they can understand it. And it's funny that even after all of that explanation, they still don't understand. But to God, Jesus, it's important that these lessons are not lost. So when he's alone with the disciples, I see him go over that story again. So you remember the story that I told you about the parable? Some of you, when I'm with you, sometimes I ask, uh-huh, what did you learn? I want to make sure you didn't lose it. I just want to make sure that you didn't lose it. Because if I should ask, what did you learn? It means it's important for me above all that are hearing me, that you particularly understand. That's what I'm saying. I'm not saying that you're dumb. I'm only saying it's important to me particularly that you understand above all. Because something on your life later, in many years to come, God will throw you in different nations as a minister and it will be important that you understood everything that was given. And sometimes after services, I sit down with some of you to expound. Not that you have not understood, but as a father or a minister, I want to make sure that you have taken in everything and that you've not lost everything. Hallelujah. That's ministry. So you see, it tells them, blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. So is it because they have, again, the inedibility? No, they're not yet a new creation. They're not yet born again. They don't have the person of the Holy Spirit in them. So they are not able. They're also like other human beings, except that they have believed him. So their hearts are softened. They are not hardened to receive. 
you see? Their ears are not dull because their hearts have opened. And when their hearts are open, that's why they follow him around. That is why they serve him more than anybody that is walking with him. That is why he has more time to expound and help understand what he is preaching. In fact, at one point, later again in that very chapter 13, they come to him and tell us, tell us the parable of the tares. These are the disciples now. Tell us the parable of the tares. And then he starts telling the parable again. And then he starts to share with them. I think perhaps maybe he was working with them and he told him, I want to tell you something about tares. Now, this is at 12. And then one day when they're with him, they remind him, hey, you had promised to tell us about tares. As he's speaking in Matthew 13, the 51st verse, he says, Jesus said unto them, have you understood all these things? He's asking the disciples, have you understood all these things? It's very important. Have you understood them? He stood to the disciples and they said unto him, Yeah, Lord, we have understood these things. Is it because they have the ability in them? Again, I repeat, no. But it is because he has to make sure that he explains to them everything and they understand it. How do you know that these were men who were not yet there? You skip into 16. Just three chapters later, you see Matthew 16 verses 5. The Bible says, when his disciples were come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. And then Jesus said unto them, take heed and beware of the living of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. But they had forgotten what? To take bread, to carry bread alone with them. Before that, he was talking to them about the Pharisees and the Sadducees and their hypocrisy. And then as he's done with them, he's moving with them to a certain place and they have forgotten bread. So he tells them, take heed and beware of the living of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. And listen, verse 7 says, And they reason among themselves, saying, It is because we've taken no bread. Ah, yeah. You see where they are? <laughs> are those men who are able to understand? No. These are men he is carrying like children to help them understand. Just three chapters later, they reason to themselves and say, Ah, yeah, we have forgotten to carry what? Bread. And when Jesus, verse 8, perceived, he said unto them. Now, this is, he should have said, oh, they don't get it. And then he moves on. But it's important that the 12 get it. So he comes to explain to them and he says, Oh, ye of little faith, why reason ye among yourselves because ye have brought no bread? And he tells, Don't you remember the five loaves and 5,000 and how many baskets you took up? Don't you remember that I've fed men before without you carrying bread? Why are you thinking about bread? And neither the seven loaves of 4,000 and how many baskets you took up. How is it that you do not, you see? understand that I speak it not to you concerning bread, that you should beware of the living of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And then he says, they understood how that he bade them not beware of the living, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and Sadducees. That's when it came to the understanding. Oh, okay, he's not talking about bread. He's talking about the doctrine. Ah, we understand. You see, it's important that he walks with them on that journey of understanding getting stories, comparing them to their experiences and maturity to be able to speak to them as they are able to receive it. So the question is, what if a man matures in understanding and he is able to receive it as he should receive it? Would God use a parable? No. Do you use an allegory? No. Would he use a simile? No. Would he use a metaphor? No. He would speak to him plainly. The conversations of divine thought are one of the most confusing things for a man to hear when he's immature as God is speaking to the mature. And that is why sometimes it's important to keep your secret place secret. And the wisdom to know what to give men and what not to give them. That doesn't mean you belong where they are. It only means that the love in you will propel you, it will provoke you, it will constrain you 
not to excite yourself in that which you know, but seek to give them what they're supposed to understand because you are a leader, not a follower. Somebody shout hallelujah. So the question then is, how would God speak to you if your understanding is come, if you're matured? How would God speak to you? Let me give you an example. When our parents were speaking to us when we were children, there's a way they used to express and explain themselves to us. When we grew up, there are things that, because we are mature to understand irony, we're mature to understand sarcasm, we're mature to understand all manner of speech, it is easy for them to communicate to us a certain way. One time, there was a land deal that I was involved in with a certain gentleman who was intending to sell land to us, and the lady was the connecting person. She was the broker. And so we meet this old man. He was perhaps in his mid-70s, and he started to speak to us. We had a conversation, I kid you not, for about 30 minutes, and we had not mentioned anything called land. No. Now, the people of old, especially those of you who are Ghana, they can even have a conversation about an individual in the room, and that person does not even know that they're talking about him. You see? But it takes a certain place of maturity to know what the guy is speaking about. So this man, he comes in this conversation, I'm just giving you that example, and he's saying, ah, I'm told that you want my button. But you see, if I give you my button, my shirt won't fit right. I have five buttons on my shirt. But unfortunately, the button you want is the most important one. It's the middle button, he's saying. If you were perhaps buying the button up here, I can open one of the buttons up. It can be a fashion. This is old man is speaking. And the first area they showed you was the button up. I can easily let go of that button up. But this one is the middle one. It costs a lot. They are rare buttons. The man is talking about land. Now, if I'm sitting with a kid who is 10, 12, she's like, button? You see? Because they're not able to understand. Again, I ask, what happens if whatever God gives you, you are able to understand? That is where Moses was. That is why when Moses gives the law to the children of Israel. Deuteronomy 31 verses 26. It shall be a witness against thee. This law, these ten commandments. Take this book of the law and put it in the side of the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God. That it may be there for a witness against thee. Why doesn't Moses say it shall be a witness against us? He has excluded himself from the children of Israel concerning the very law that he gave and he was fighting for. He's trying to tell them, I'm not under the law. But she are under it. Put it in the Ark of the Covenant. It shall be a witness against you. He's saying, it's not a witness against me. I'm in a higher place of instruction. But I'm giving it to you because God has given me the full counsel. I understand why in this time we must give you the law. You see? The reason why we're giving you the law is that all mouths might be stopped and that all men might be guilty before God. Because if we can get you to that level, then Jesus can come. The law was given by Moses. Grace and truth came by Jesus. You see, that's why he's speaking of the righteousness of faith. Moses teaches about the righteousness of faith. Some people meet it first when Paul is preaching about it, but Moses had spoken of the righteousness of faith where earlier in Deuteronomy, he knew that there's a righteousness of works and a righteousness of faith and it gives them the law to do a righteousness of works because it's the only way they can come to the truth that you cannot actually fulfill righteousness in your own works. You see, that you can only fulfill righteousness through faith. And we can't take them there directly because they will not understand. Let us give them the law so they can fully appreciate grace. That's why I told people, if you are a teacher of grace and grace makes you sin more, 
grace makes you live irresponsible lives, then you have not understood grace. There is no sin that is not liable for death. Every sin was liable for death. The consequence of it was death. God wants them to fully appreciate his grace by giving them the law. Moses is not there. That's why I read it for you recently. How when the children of Israel are redeemed from the hand of Pharaoh, the Bible says he led them not. Yet it's Moses narrating. He led them not through the way of the land of the Philistines, although it was near. For God said that this adventure, the people see war and they return to Egypt. He is among them. He is leading them, but he has separated himself from their experiences. Why? Because he understood from another place. God never spoke to him in parables. God never spoke to him in dark speeches. He beheld the very similitude of God, mouth to mouth they used to communicate. So he is a partner with God in the fulfillment of divine assignment and purpose for the earth. Now, you're still dealing with people who are just in the gifts. You heal the sick, but you don't understand the assignment on your life. And then you build ministry based on the gift. You prophesy in two, three, four, five people, but you've not yet understood the assignment on your life. And then you build a ministry based on prophecy. Yet the assignment is bigger. It's the bigger picture. It's the bigger picture. To see things from where God sees them. Because when you come back here, it will be so easy for you to respond in the way God expects you to respond in any situations. Saints, God is speaking in this time more than ever before. And he is not speaking only from where you individual are able to understand him, but he's even speaking above what you're able to understand or how you're able to understand but only to those who are able to understand it in that realm. So we all hear differently. That is why he tells you, in thine getting, get understanding. You need the instructions that help you to understand. It says that when the word of God comes, you can understand it. This sermon is one of those. It's an instruction. It's an instruction to understand. Because when you understand, he will speak to you in understanding. And the scriptures foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles through faith. He went afore and preached the gospel to Abraham. When he reached Abraham, he did not tell him, Abraham, now, listen, I'm going to justify the Gentiles through faith. How am I going to do it? I'm going to send Jesus Christ. And in him they shall be neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. But you must understand that, you know, before I used to have covenants with the children of Israel and I used to relate with them as my own people, the choicest people. But now the church is going to take that place. They are going to be the branch that is grafted in from their madness and their wildlife. I'm going to engraft them in. And as I engraft them in, they shall be a part of this vine, for I am the vine, and they're going to be the branches. So don't think that because I've made covenants with you, Abraham, and your seed, I'm going to only keep the blood of Abraham only and that lineage. Because there are people who, even though they are not counted in the tribe or tribes of Israel, they're still my people because you all came from one person. For example, when we go to the lineage of Cain and Abel, and then he kills him, and then we go with Seth, we see that I go with the lineage of Seth and I ignore the lineage of Cain, but that I mean that they are not people too. You all came from one lineage or genealogy, you see? And then I get to the 12 tribes of Israel. Those are the children of Jacob. But remember, Esau also had children and they were also Jewish by blood. So when I speak of the 12 tribes of Israel, even though I did not regard Esau's children and his lineage as tribe, they are also my people. One day, I'm going to bring a person in the face of my image and likeness, but beyond that, in my very, 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 very person, as God, Jesus Christ, he shall come in the flesh. He shall reconcile the Jew and the Gentile, the slave and the free, the man and the woman. But when he gets to Abraham, he didn't explain all of that. He went to him before so that he would justify the Gentiles through faith. He goes to a landman and tells him one sentence, in thee shall all nations be blessed. He has understood it. Abraham understood the whole New Testament. 
And so when Jesus sees from where our father Abraham saw it, he says, your father Abraham saw my day and he was glad. Why was he glad? He understood the whole message of the New Testament in one sentence. In thee shall all nations be blessed. Seven words. Give him a whole New Testament message. It's amazing the things God will tell you when you have understanding. You hear God more clearly. Passion words. Ever true. Changing me. And changing you. We have come. With open hearts, oh, let the ancient words be heard. Help me quiet. Ancient words, ever true, changing me and changing you. We have come, with open hearts. Oh, let the ancient words I pray for you in the name of Jesus that wisdom is yours. Understanding tonight comes to you and God is going to speak to you as the mature. The language coming to you is going to be mature. The instructions coming to you are going to be for the mature. That beyond dark speeches, you will receive plainly the revelation and instruction of God. And this is going to separate you from anybody who teaches or defines God. Because you're going to define Him and reveal Him more maturely in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're sick in your body, receive healing right now. Now, those who are learned, you don't need me to mention your name. Just receive it. Just receive it. Just receive it. If you've been having financial issues, receive breakthrough. I speak growth. I speak maturity. I speak multiplication. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. I speak increase. I speak advancement. I speak promotion. I speak progress. It is yours in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've never given your life to Christ, let's repeat these words after me. Say, Lord Jesus. I thank you because you shed your blood for my sins and was raised for my glory. The message you have just heard was brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number 041-466-4291 or email us at fenerocompala at gmail.com. You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org. Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowships at Uma Multipurpose Hall from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. You can also catch the live stream at livestream.com slash Fenero. Fenero. Make manifest. Thank you.